Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode's sermon, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things that we do at Melbourne Heights, and it's one of the ways that we bless our community every single year, and that's through our work with the Salvation Army's Angel Tree Program. Now, over the last three years, our church has helped make the Christmas dreams of almost 250 kids and their families a reality. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how we do that and why we do that. So let's get right into this week's sermon. So we've decorated the church. Some of us have put on some Christmas attire, but mine needs to come off because I'm getting hot. And I don't know if you can take me seriously with a Mickey Mouse Christmas hat on. So uh, mine's going to come off. But we've had some fun to try to get you in the Christmas spirit this morning. And we've got one last thing we're going to do, and I'm going to share with you one of my favorite memories from a Christmas morning, from years ago. And I still remember that so well. I remember looking over at the Christmas tree, seeing the last Christmas present sitting underneath of it. And I knew that that present was all mine. Now, I had been waiting a long time to get my hands on this particular present. I had sat down at the dining room table months earlier with a sheet of paper in one hand and a crayon in the other, and I had started making out my Christmas list. And I had quickly jotted down those ubiquitous things that you have to put on your Christmas list that every parent expects, like what shirt size I needed and what size pair of pants I needed. But then I rushed on to what are truly the most important gifts for any kid. I rushed on and I started writing down the board games and the puzzles that I wanted, the action figures and the kind of candy I wanted to see in my stocking. But there was one gift, one gift that year that I wanted more than anything else. So I did what every other kid in the world does when they write down the most important thing on their Christmas list. I circled it half a dozen times, I drew enough stars beside it to fill up the night sky, and if it I would have put a giant green neon sign pointing beside it saying, this is what Adam really wants for Christmas this year. Truth of the matter is, I was kind of obsessed with getting this one particular gift. And I was so obsessed with getting it that I carefully inspected any time that a new package showed up on the tree skirt around the tree. I'd grab that package, I would shake it and size it up and see if it could just possibly be the gift of my little boy dreams. And now Christmas morning had finally arrived. And after tearing through tons of other presents, I was surrounded by shreds of wrapping paper and empty boxes and piles of board games and puzzles and action figures and candy. And even the worst gift that you can possibly find sitting underneath the Christmas tree when you're a kid, that's right, the dreaded socks and underwear. But now, with that last gift under the tree, when I held it in my hands, I knew that I finally had my dream present that year. All of the circling and all of the stars, all of the careful inspection of the tree, all of the effort that I had put in that year to make sure that I was a good boy, were about to pay off. So I could barely contain my excitement as I slid my fingers into the seam in the wrapping paper and started slowly opening up this gift. My eyes had to have been as big as tennis balls as I began to to peel back the paper. And the smile on my face must have been going from ear to ear as I caught that first glimpse of what I had been waiting so long to see. And then I finally unwrapped it And I held in my hands 
an official scale replica WWF wrestling ring complete with the elastic ropes and a genuine announce table. Okay, let's not forget here, I am a child of the 80s, okay? And when I was like six or seven years old, professional wrestling was precisely the third coolest thing in the world for any little boy. Right behind the TV show MacGyver and anybody that can like make a bomb with like toothpicks and gum wrappers is way cool. And then there was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then it was professional wrestling, okay? So I had been dying to get this wrestling ring. And now that Christmas came, I had that gift in my hands, and all I could think about was the epic matches I was going to have when I played with my action figures. And Hulk Hogan took on Andre the Giant, and the Ultimate Warrior fought it out with the Macho Man. Now, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny that I still remember that particular Christmas morning so well, even though it happened 30 years ago. Because yes, on that particular Christmas morning, I got the exact toy that I wanted to get that year. But the truth is, that was pretty well how every Christmas went in my family. Every year I'd sit down in October and November at our kitchen table. Every year I'd pull out that sheet of paper and that crayon. Every year I would get whatever sale catalogs that came in the mail, and I would start making out the, a list as long as my arm of everything that I wanted. And every year, some of those things that I circled and starred and wrote on the list ended up sitting underneath the Christmas tree in my parents' living room. Now, it wasn't until I got quite a bit older that I realized that that just wasn't the case for every kid at Christmas. And that's one of the things that I really remember most from the time that I spent working in a toy store after I graduated college. About this time every single year, I got to see the same wide-eyed optimism in the kids who came walking through the doors of my toy store that I had on that Christmas morning when I was opening up my official scale replica WWF wrestling ring with the elastic ropes and the official announce table. Their eyes, they would light up so big as soon as they walked through the doors of the store. And almost every single one of them, they would pause for just an extra second as they came in, trying to take in all of the items and products that were arranged on the shelves around them. But it never took long before they were reaching up and they were tugging on their mom's or their dad's hands, and they started racing down the aisles to check out all of the toys that they might just want on their Christmas wish list that year. But the truth is, it's not really the wide-eyed optimism of the kids that I remember the most from my time managing that toy store. What I remember most is the heartbroken expression on some of their parents' faces when they walked hand in hand with their kids through all of the aisles of the store, knowing that they weren't going to be able to make all of their kids' Christmas dreams come true that year. I remember the parents who would come up to the counter with an arm filled with toys and an uneasy look on their faces. I remember the teary-eyed expressions that they would have as they stared at the register and saw their total keep rising as more items were scanned. I remember the embarrassed expression that they had on their faces when they had to ask me to put some of those items back. I remember other parents who were waiting with bated breath while I swiped their credit cards to see if they still had enough left on those cards 
to cover their purchases. I remember their anger when I'd have to tell them that their check had been declined. And I remember the blank stares that they'd have when the realization set in that they couldn't afford Christmas this year. But what I remember most is how often that happened. Now, it wasn't an everyday occurrence, but it happened at least a handful of times every Christmas. And at first, I honestly just couldn't comprehend it. I couldn't wrap my mind around it because I didn't exactly grow up in a wealthy family. When I was little, my dad was still working in the military. And the military isn't exactly known for their high pay for enlisted people. So we didn't have a whole lot of money, but I never woke up one Christmas wondering if there was going to be something waiting for me underneath the Christmas tree when I went up to the living room. But soon, I couldn't deny the reality that far too many families don't really get to celebrate Christmas the way that they hope. In Jefferson County alone, the Salvation Army helps over 7,000 kids from 2,500 families through their Angel Tree program each year. That's 2,500 families, 7,000 kids in our own community who would have nothing for Christmas at all. These are families that you see while you're out grocery shopping at Walmart or Target or wherever you like to go. These are parents that work in the cubicle in the office next to yours. These are kids who go to school with your kids and your grandkids. And these are families that just need a little help. And I'm proud to say that over the last three years, we as a church, we have helped about 250 of these kids and their families celebrate Christmas. And this Christmas, we get to do it again. We get to do it again. So at the end of this morning service, we're going to collect a special one-time offering where every penny that you give to this offering is going to be used to help children and their families in need in our community this Christmas. And here's how all of that works. We have you guys give, and we work hand-in-hand with the Salvation Army to get angels to come into us. So early this week on Halloween, I actually got the 75 angels that we're going to be helping and working with this year. So we process that, and then we get a group from our church who goes out, and we do all of the shopping for the 75 kids in one day. And thanks to the generosity of a local retailer, we get to make sure that your money goes as far as it possibly can. And usually when we finish up, we have enough money left over that we're able to pick up a few more angels and help out that year. But here's the basic guidelines that we work off of. For every $150 that you guys give to us, we pick out one angel that we can shop for. And this is to make sure that they really get a good Christmas, okay? Because I've seen churches in the past that have done the angel tree, and I've seen people that have cheaped out when they've done it, where they've gotten the absolute bare-bone minimal that they can get to give to a kid just to pat themselves on the back and feel good about doing something for them. But that's not ever been our philosophy and our approach to it. When, I, when we do Christmas, I want to make sure that we do Christmas big so that those kids can have that same feeling on Christmas morning that I had when I opened up a silly wrestling ring, okay? So we spend $150, $100 to make sure that all of their basic necessities are taken care of. Like on the angel that I held up earlier today. That little girl needs a jacket and some shirts. 
We're going to make sure that we spend $100 buying her a jacket and some shirts and some other clothing that she, she's going to be able to use throughout the entire year. And then we spend at least $50 making sure that they get the really cool stuff that kids care about at Christmas time, okay? Because I have never in my entire life seen a kid that's 10 years old or younger who has been excited about the clothes they opened up on Christmas morning. They are all about the toys that they get to have. So we make sure that they get a great toy or two or three to go along with all of these things. We make sure that we buy for them the biggest wish on their list, whether it's a bike or a new video game or an official scale replica WWE wrestling ring with the elastic ropes and the announce table. We make sure they get exactly what they want so that each of these kids can wake up on Christmas morning feeling the way that you got to feel on Christmas mornings growing up. Feeling the way that your kids got to feel on Christmas morning when they woke up. Feeling the way that your grandkids get to feel on Christmas morning when they wake up and see the gifts that are sitting underneath the Christmas tree. But before we get to the point in the service where we're going to ask you to give, I want to spend the rest of our time in the sermon explaining to you why it is that we are asking you to give. Now, obviously, there is the very practical side of the matter, and we're asking you to give to help these children in need in our own community. But we as a church aren't just asking you to give this morning because of practical reasons. But before I can talk about the reasons, all the reasons why we ask you to give, I want to stop and I want to address a common misconception that some people have when it comes to giving in the church. Some people think that we ask you to give in church because God needs your money. Now just stop and think about that for a second. Some people think that we ask you to give in church because God needs your money. That's just not true. Here's the truth. In the book of Psalms, God himself tells us, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle's the cattle on a thousand hills. God doesn't need your money because everything you have already belongs to God. Everything you have already belongs to God. So the first reason why we ask you to give in worship, okay, the first reason why we give in worship is we give because giving reminds us that we are managers of God's blessings, okay? Everything you have already belongs to God. You are just managing it for God. So we ask you to give to remind you that you are managing God's blessings. It may help if you think about it this way. Now, imagine this morning, and you have to imagine it, okay? But imagine that I walked up here this morning and I had 10 brand new $100 bills in my hand. You have to imagine it because I'm a pastor and I can't walk around with that kind of money, okay? But imagine I had 10 brand new $100 bills. That's 1000 bucks for those of you that are mathematically challenged, okay? Now, imagine that I was willing to give that away to you. How many of you would take me up on it? If your hand's not up, you're just not being honest, Okay. Everybody would take me up on that, but what if I told you there was a catch? What if I told you that as soon as I gave you those $1,000 bills, you needed to take one of them and give it to somebody else? How many of you would still take me up on that offer? Everybody's hand should be up because you came out 900 bucks ahead. Okay, you ask me, can we do it again? Okay, that's how it works. But now, now imagine that I forgot to tell you the catch. Imagine that I forgot to tell you that you needed to immediately turn around and hand a $100 bill to somebody else. And I came back to you just one week later. I came back to you next Sunday and I said, yeah, you remember when I gave you that $1,000? Um, I, I, I meant for you to take 100 of that and give it away. 
So can you do that for me now? How would you feel a week later? A week later, you would feel completely different. A week later, you would feel like that money belonged to you. You've held on to it for a little bit longer. So now you feel like that money is yours. So you wouldn't be as excited or as eager to give that $100 away. So what changes between it happening immediately and what happens over just the course of one week? What changes to, to cause our minds to think so differently? Well, the easiest answer to that is our perspective changes. In one case, you knew that what you held in your hand was a gift that didn't really belong to you. But in the other example, waiting just a week, you had forgotten that. Waiting just a week, you started to forget that it was a gift and a blessing that was given to you. And you started to feel like it was yours, that it belonged to you. So we ask you to give in church to help you remember that your money is a gift that comes to you from God. After all, James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. But that's just one reason why we ask you to give in church. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 10 and 12, they give us another reason. So let me share with you what this passage says. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 10 and 11 is what we're going to start reading. Here's what the, the author writes. He says, But you are about to cross the Jordan River, and you will settle in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you as an inheritance. Then he will give you rest from all of your enemies on every side that so, you, so that you can live safely and securely. At that point, once that happens, you must bring all that I am commanding you, your entirely burned offerings, your sacrifices, your tenth part gifts, your contributions, and all your best payments that you solemnly promised to the Lord, to the location the Lord your God selects from his name, for his name to reside. Okay, so in these couple of verses, we are, the author is talking about the gifts that the people of Israel are expected to bring when they come to worship God once they have entered in to the promised land. One, once they come in to, to the temple. But this passage of scripture was written during a far more agrarian time than we live in today. So the people of Israel, when they were coming to bring their offerings to God, they were bringing livestock, they were bringing produce, they were bringing those sorts of things as their, their offering to give to God instead of money. And their offering didn't work the same way that it works in our church today. They didn't just show up and drop their cow in the offering plate when it went by in the middle of the worship service. They had to sacrifice their offerings as a part of their worship to God. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 12 explains to us why they had to do that. This is what it says. It says, once you've done this, once you've made your sacrifices to God, you will rejoice in the Lord your God's presence. Each of you, your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, and the Levites who dwell in your cities, because they have no designated inheritance. So what the author is telling us here is that we are to bring these offerings because when we bring these offerings, we can use them to celebrate. We can use them to celebrate all that God has done for us, to celebrate God's love for all of us. And we can use these gifts to share with each other. So the second reason why we give is we give to bring us closer together. We give to bring us closer together. And why do we need to do that? 
Well, we need to do that because we live in a world where just about everything seems to drive us apart. Let's be honest. We all watch different TV shows. We all listen to different music. We all read different books. We all cheer for different sports teams. And the way that we spend our money, if we stopped and we looked at it, we'd realize that it only drives a further wedge between us. If we had the time to go around this room and ask everybody about how they spend their money, we'd realize that every single one of us has different ways that we spend our money, that no two of us in this place spend our money the same way. We all have different goals. We all have different priorities when it comes to our finances. But when we come together in worship and we give, we're uniting together in one priority. One priority. And that priority is the work of the kingdom of God. The work that is being done in this church and by this church and through this church to grow God's kingdom. When we give and worship, it is our way of saying that we all agree that God's church and God's kingdom, that they matter. And they matter not just to me, they matter not just to you, but they matter to every single one of us. And why is that important? Why does that matter? Well, if you skip ahead a couple of chapters in Deuteronomy, you're going to hear this in Deuteronomy 14, 28, and 29. That's what it says. Every third year you must bring the tenth part of your produce from that year and leave it at your city's gates. Then the Levites, who have no designated inheritance like you do, along with the immigrants, the orphans, and the widows who live in your cities, they will come and they will feast off of your offerings until they are full. Do this so that the Lord your God might bless you in everything that you do. Deuteronomy 14 reminds us that people are hurting, that people are broken, that people are in need. And this is something that if you're not hurting or broken or in need, if you've never wondered if you're going to have Christmas presents sitting underneath your tree, this is something that's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to forget that there are people in the neighborhoods around us that go to school with our kids, that work in the same buildings that we do, that are hurting, that are broken, that are in need. So when we stop and we actually think about these real problems in the world around us, it's easy for us to feel the temptation to just throw our hands up in the air and say, there's nothing I can do to fix that. But when we give, we're also reminded that we as a church, we can do something about all of the people that are hurting and all the people that are broken and all the people that are in need in our community. Because when we give together, we can care for those without an inheritance. We can care for the immigrant. We can care for the orphan. We can care for the widow. We can care for anyone who is in need. But here's the catch. We can only care for others when we share what we've been given. We can only care for others when we share what we've been given. And this year, as Christmas draws closer, we want to help take care of the kids and the families in need in our own backyard. So we're asking you to give this morning to help these kids who are hurting, who are in need in our own community. And we're asking you to do this because when I give, and when you give, and when we all give, what says to the world that God and God's people really care about those who are hurting. And I've got two quick stories around this angel tree that just drive that message home for me. 
that when we give, that we inspire other people to see that God is at work and, want, and they want to join in with us. Last year, while we were out shopping for the angel tree, we had something that had never happened before occur while we were standing in the checkout line, uh, having all of our items scanned out. And if you've never had the, pl- the pleasure of doing that, it's exhausting. <laughs> Buying Christmas gifts for 75 kids, it takes a long time and it's exhausting. But as we were standing there over the hours that it took for all of this to happen, the, the, the store we were shopping in, they had other registers that were opened up, and they had other customers that were going through and paying for their stuff. And we had one person who saw our giant pile of packages and, all, and presents and all that stuff, who asked the cashier that she was talking to what was going on over there, because we make a spectacle, okay? If you can't tell by the fact that we were wearing silly Christmas costumes and that sort of stuff, we draw attention when we go out in public and we do these sorts of things. So she looked over and she said, what's going on over there? And the cashier told them. So this is a church in town, and they adopt you know, 75 kids off of the Angel Tree program each year, and they help. And this woman, who we had never met and I haven't seen since, reached into her wallet, and she handed over some money to help us pay for these gifts. And it wasn't a huge amount of money. She didn't grab a stack of $1,000 bills or anything like that to help us out. But the very fact that she saw us doing something to help other people let her know that there was something that she could do to help other people as well. So our generosity inspired her generosity. And the other story I want to tell you is something that happened in my house yesterday. Um, Hannah has her own little allowance piggy bank kind of setup inside of our house. And one of the things that we require of her, we ask her to do, is to express this generosity, to give to people that are in need. Well, Hannah, every time that she makes money, whether it's from working chores or if she, it's birthday stuff, Christmas gifts, whatever reason she gets money, she always puts some of the money into this save jar that she has. And yesterday, you know, as we've been talking about this, she knows the angel tree stuff is coming. She decided it was time to break into her, her piggy bank to open it up so that she could give to help all these kids on the angel tree. And she's been saving up to do this almost all year. So my little girl reached in. She took everything that she had in her bank account. And I want you to understand this. I'm not talking about pennies or nickels or quarters or anything like that. She took out $30 that she had been saving herself. That in all honesty, if she had put some of that inside another one of her things that she could go out and buy one of her favorite toys with, we wouldn't have cared one bit. But she wanted to give $30 because she knows She knows because of the way my family lives and the way that this church lives and the way that we help this angel tree that there are kids in our community just like her who aren't going to have Christmas if it wasn't for the generosity of other people. This is a seven-year-old. And 30 bucks for a seven-year-old, that might as well be a million dollars because if you asked her what she could buy for 30 bucks, she'd tell you the moon. Okay? But this is what happens. This is what happens when we give in church. When we share what we have been given We really can't care for other people. And we can inspire the world around us to do the same thing and to help other people too. So this morning, I just want to encourage you. However you feel God is leading you to give, to just give. Now what I'm going to ask you to do to make this a little bit easier on our tally people when they come in tomorrow, if you haven't already done this, is to grab one of the offering envelopes that are in the pews in front of you to make sure that your angel tree gift goes into one of these offering envelopes and write angel tree on it so that there is just no question whatsoever about where this money is going. Our tally committee will count all of this up and we'll, we'll kind of go along from there. Um, but if you'll go ahead, start getting yourself ready for this offering. In just a second, I'm going to pray for us, and I'll invite our ushers to come forward at that point. And then we'll sing and we'll receive these gifts. And next Sunday, we'll let you know how all this collection goes. 
But again, let me just encourage you to pay attention to those words that are still up on that screen. We can only care for others when we share what God has given us. So think about how God has blessed you. Think about how you can contribute to this. And if you forgot, if you forgot to bring your offering today, you don't have your checkbook, didn't hit up the ATM, whatever it is, you can come back next Sunday morning and you can bring your offering then. Just again, designate that angel tree on it to make things crystal clear for us. But when we do this together, we really do speak volumes about what matters to God. And we say to the world that God cares about those who are broken, those who are hurting, those who are in need. So let's give. And let's give the gift of an incredible Christmas to as many kids as we can. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you. We thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had to be in this place to worship you this morning. We thank you. We thank you for the way that you have blessed all of us and the ways that we are able to take the blessings that you have given us and use them to bless other people, God. So as we prepare to collect this angel tree gift in a couple of minutes, we simply want to pray over the gifts that we'll receive, that you will take them, that you will multiply them, that you will use them to help us provide an incredible Christmas for kids in need in our own community this year. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that hearing about our church's work with the Salvation Army's Angel Tree program has inspired you. Maybe it's inspired you to go out and pick up an angel for yourself off of one of those trees at the mall. Or maybe you've been inspired to make a donation to a local nonprofit organization in your area as this year draws to an end. Or maybe you're going to find some other way to show the world that God cares for those who are hurting. But whatever you've been inspired to do, We would love to hear about it. And if you visit our podcast's webpage, you can actually record a message to let us know what you're up to. Just visit anchor.fm slash melbourne-heights-sermons. And I know that's a crazy address, we didn't make it up, but we'll post it in this episode's description because we really do want to know what you're doing, and we want to hear about how you're showing God's care and God's love for the world. Now in our next episode, we're going to put Christmas on the back burner for a few weeks. Instead, we're going to be launching into a brand new series of sermons and services where we're going to be talking about what it means to be a part of the church. That episode will drop next Tuesday, and if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And as always, I hope you have a great week this week, and by all means, visit our church's podcast page and let us know what you've been inspired to do. We'd love to hear those stories. And we'll see you next week for another episode of our Sermon Podcast.